Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Bar Fights. I'm so happy you're here today. I have an incredible guest for you guys today, like we always do on Bar Fights, but this week is really special. We have a man by the name of Marvin Peak. He is an international speaker. He is an entrepreneur and he is a humanitarian and he's also an author. Um, his new book, which we're going to be talking about today, is called Out of the Tunnel, an epic tale of battles, breakthroughs, and new beginnings. Um, also, just as a side note, he's former military. He was in the FBI for a while. So we're going to learn all the amazing things. But when I first got this book, I turned over the back cover and I see names like Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Melissa Etheridge. I'm like, who is this guy? I didn't read this. And now I'm almost done. And it is such a beautiful journey. Marvin, my sweet new friend, welcome to Bar Fights. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you. I have so many things I'm dying to ask you. But what I said to you before we started recording the show, I can't get off this. This beautiful book is such a labor of love. It is so vulnerable. It is so raw. I learned so many things. How in the world do you... A, decide to write something like this, and B, actually do it. Uh, you know, Sarah, I never intended to write the book. Um, I traveled with Tony Robbins uh, for about seven years, and um, was doing the testimonials on the speaking circuit with him all over the world. Everywhere I went, people would ask the question. First thing was, I don't see you on social media. I can't find you on social media, on the internet anywhere. The second one was, do you have a book? And I would brush that off because there are stories in the book that I never intended to tell. They're intimate stories about some public figures that I would always keep to myself. Um, and then one day I'm speaking at an event in New York City and there was a lady in the audience. And uh, when I finished, she came over to me and she said, uh, that was really beautiful. I enjoyed every bit of that. I said, thank you, ma'am. She went away. She came back about two minutes later, and she's tapping me on the shoulder. And I look over, and she hands me a bottle of water. And I said, thank you, ma'am. She leaves again. She comes back maybe two or three minutes later, and she's tapping me on the shoulder. And I'm saying, man, this lady's hitting on me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what, what's up? You know, so, so she says, hey, she says, intermission is coming up. And she says, would you go to lunch with me? And my first thought was, I knew it. She's hitting on me. And I said, <laughs> politely, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, and she says, okay, well, if you change your mind, Here's my car. I said, okay, I put her card in my pocket just to be polite. 
at intermission, people are coming around me talking about what I had presented on stage. Uh, they're talking about where they had seen me first at the Tony Robbins events and so forth. And it's a big crowd. And I wanted to get away from people, Sarah. Yeah. I just need quiet time. Yeah. And I said, how do I divert um, away from the traffic and uh, take my attention somewhere else? And I'm thinking, okay, let me go in my pocket like I'm busy. And I pulled out the woman's card and it said, practical intuition, the circle, Laura Day. Oh my gosh. And I did like, (laughs) she's on the back of the book too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just blew off one of my favorite authors. So now I'm on a search. I'm on a hunt trying to find her. There's a huge crowd around her. And I just rudely just busted right in. I said, wait a minute, you're Laura Day? And she yeah. says, yes, I am. I said, you're really Laura Day? She says, yes. Now, will you go to lunch with me? Well, of course I will. <laughs> <laughs> We go to lunch, Sarah, and she says, she says to me, she says, um, listen, when you were speaking, I saw angels behind you. I even saw my ancestors and they were communicating with me. I don't know how much you know about me. I said, I know quite a bit from reading your books. She says, they were telling me that you are going to be in my life for the rest of my days on this planet. And she said, "Um, I'm going to take you home and introduce you to my husband. I later found out this this guy is uh, Stephen Schiff, the Star Wars guy. Okay. She says, uh, my son and daughter are now your uh, nephew and niece. I have seven homes all over the world, and they're now your homes. I'm adopting you as my little brother. She says, now let me tell you what this is all about. You have a story to tell. And I know why you haven't told your story, because you've been protecting yourself. The way that you grew up, the elements and what you had to do to survive. She said, but you did not live that life so that you can keep it to yourself. She said, the world is suffering and the world is going to continue to suffer until you tell your story. And if you don't, I'm going to consider you selfish. Well, when Uh, you put it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Sarah, you know, I've never been called selfish before, ever. You can call me all kinds of things, but selfish isn't one. And this woman said, I will consider you selfish if you don't tell this story. And so she stayed on me. She called and texted and emailed. And uh, I knew that she was going to ask questions. So I would have to make up some story that I laid out. I got the the, the frame there and the, uh, the outline, rather. And yeah. um, I'm pushing, come up with five subjects and just go over. And um, so I started using my phone, taking down events, things that I could remember. And it wasn't until I went through a relationship, a real challenge that caused me a lot of emotional pain that I got uh, really serious about uh, writing this book. And so I said, let's go all the way back to the beginning from the time that I was in the womb all the way through my last romantic relationship. Yeah. And but along with that, Sarah, 
I wanted to make sure that I'm not just telling my story, not just another rags to riches stories. How many times have we heard those stories and people give you the song and dance and you get tired of that? I wanted to make sure that I add something substantive to the listener, to the reader. I wanted to make sure that they could take from my story how to eliminate their own excuses, how to eradicate and emancipate themselves from victimhood. From, from blame, um, how you can deal with anxiety, mm-hmm. the concept of self-determination, what is time, what is true fulfillment. So at the end of each chapter, as you notice in my book, I have a life force takeaway, a key, yeah. so that we can give you a little commercial break, a little emotional reprieve from all of the horror stuff that I went through. So that you can see yourself in this key and how you can overcome the challenges that you may be faced with. A hundred percent. That's what I was going to say. I loved about it the most is we're going on this journey of somebody's story, but we're also being called to sort of reflect through our own lens and our own life and get that takeaway of how now I, you know, now I have this tool how do I apply it to my own adversity, struggles, challenges, et cetera? Job yeah. well done. You achieved that. You achieved yeah. that. Thank you. Thank you very that's, much. That's amazing. So we we talk about sort of the story of poverty to prosperity. Can you give the listeners that have not yet read the book the the little Cliff Notes version of, of your story and, and what you came from? and um, what you've gone through and and sort of where you are today. Oh, sure, sure. Um, I I grew up like many um, Americans in uh, unsavory conditions, um, extreme poverty, um, communities of violence and drugs, um, constant danger. Um, My my family, struggled with alcoholism and drug abuse. Um, I was pretty much, not pretty much, but I was homeless as a child. So I raised myself in the street. And my training came from the gangs and gang leaders, pimps, hustlers. Um, I had experiences with uh, police brutality. Before there was a George Floyd in that experience, that we all saw. I went through that. Uh, I was about 13, 14 years old, running to school, and the police ran me down and uh, threw me against the fence, then slammed me on the concrete, put a gun to the back of my head and a knee in my back, looking for a microphone. And it was an old lady that came over and said, what are you doing to that baby? Get off, let him go, let him go. And they had gotten another call in the squad car that they found the person that they were looking for. And they left me on the ground. My face bruised, blood everywhere, clothes ripped up. And I get to school and I want to tell the teacher what happened. She's upset because I'm late and I have to go to the principal. She didn't want to hear it. The principal didn't want to hear it because that was the kind of thing that went on in those communities. Yeah. Our neighborhoods. It's a normal thing to get shot at, to get beaten up by the police. 
<laughs> to be involved in some kind of gang activity, just go to class. Shut up. Take it. Yep. It builds a toughness, though. It builds a sense of resilience that I haven't found anywhere else, not even in uh, what I learned in, in the FBI and military. Mm-hmm. Um, it created a tenacity in me where I got a PhD, not only in survival, but used it to become successful. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm a former athlete, and so it's game seven of the NBA championship for me every day. So I have to dive for each loose ball. I have to get every rebound. I got to score every point. You know, I have to go all out just to stay ahead, to get a meal, somewhere to sleep. In fact, um, I was, uh, I, I learned proper handling of people and <laughs> winning friends, <laughs> influencing people as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my cousin was a pimp and uh, he wanted to have my first intimate experience with one of his workers. And I was able to use um, a, a sense of uh, manipulation, divine manipulation to get this lady not to take me. Mm-hmm. She was very afraid. That story, you read that story in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used everything I possibly could to convince her that we would be okay. Yes. Um, so seeing my family members and my friends who had homes to go to, they may have been something less than desirable, but they had something. I had nothing. The street lights come on, they go in the house, I stay out in the street. You walk all night, you ride the subway, or you get on the bus. You don't want to sleep if you find a nice cozy place outside against the building because the rats may come and eat you. <laughs> so, so, so you learn how to hustle. I, I, I would play basketball one-on-one for money. It's very difficult to do that in a team setting because I can't rely on anyone. Couldn't rely on my family. So I want to play one-on-one. We used to do a thing called slap boxing. My boxing coach had trained me to protect myself if I was going to be out on the street. So he trained me in the gym and I would, um, had, you know, some fights. Um, so, but the majority of people in my school and in the street, they had no formalized training in fighting. Street fighting is different. So I had an advantage. So we would slap box, we called it, for 50 cents. And I'd slap the hell out of people for 50 cents because I needed that to survive. Mm-hmm. I would one-on-one basketball. I would, you know, slap box. And um, I would only gamble on things that I could win, that I knew I could win. I also spent a great deal of time in libraries, reading books and listening to music. And I would listen to songs from the 40s, 50s, the 60s, the 70s. So I would listen to all of these songs and learn the lyrics. Because when the drunks are out on the corner singing and talking, I would come some strange little kid and sing their old songs. And they wonder, who the hell kid is this? Whose child is this? But they would give me money. Mm-hmm. Go back to school. I would buy candy and sell candy. So everything was a hustle to me. Yeah, yeah I've been self-employed all my life. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I mean, that's survival, right? And what do you think? Do you think that you had that ability intrinsically? Were you born with a survival instinct? Because I can think of a lot of kids that couldn't have done what you did. They, they wouldn't have been able to survive those circumstances. Where did that, where does that come from? I think about well, the, fir- the first law of nature is self-preservation. I think we all have it. Mm-hmm. The thing with most people that I've met is that when you give too much comfort and you give too much certainty, it is a, a direct, in direct opposition to growth and evolution. And when you don't have certainty, when you don't have comfort, you have to observe the law of the first law of nature more so than most other people because you have to survive. It forces you to grow. It forces you to be resilient. It forces a toughness on you. Besides that, I had to rebel against the environment. I had to rebel against the culture. I had to rebel against those circumstances. And I, I, I was able to tap into visualization. I had to tap into my intuition because I always dreamed that things would be better for me, that this wasn't just it. I had no evidence of it. I guess that's where faith comes from. But I knew that there was something special about me. No one told me I was special or good. So I had to tell myself. And so one of the the great things that we find out about children is their imagination. You should never rob them of the imagination. I was just saying earlier today and yesterday, there was a time that you can watch television, even a, a ball game. and You don't have the little ticket thing down there giving you information. Now they have these big things that come up to distract you. Anything that will take away your awareness. For me, I had to have awareness because it was my means of survival. Mm -hmm. I had to be clear headed every moment of every day because there was some predator out there to take from you, to hurt you, to harm you. And you had to have all your faculties. So even though family members were drunk or high or committing some kind of crime, I had to be straight and clear. I actually thought I was going to be a professional athlete. Mm. I just knew I was going to be a professional athlete. And I dreamed one day that I would have a family. But right now, I need to know where I'm going to sleep tonight, where my next meal is going to come from. And I need to take every day and move myself progressively towards the next day. And time became... um, not even, um, not even, it wasn't real to me. Time became, what I say now is an illusion. It really was an illusion to me. Because if I sat around and thought about the minute, the hour, the day, the week, it would only depress me. So I had to, without even having the information that I have now, is to master this particular moment and how I get the best out of it. It didn't matter whether the sun was setting in nighttime and I get some sleep because I had nowhere to go. It's just that where are the opportunities? I've utilized everything in my childhood in that struggle when I became an adult and I used those same principles to become successful. Now, my mother just made her transition on, but I realized that when she was on her deathbed, that she had given me the greatest gift that any parent could possibly give their child. She left me alone. I was not indoctrinated with their philosophies of life. 
with their struggles and their pain and the paradigm of thought that uh, induces fear in your children, restricting them, putting limits and boundaries on their capability. My mother fell in love to her with her addiction. My father was a uh, professional fighter who had a family of his own and that he kept <laughs> me away from them and them away from me. <laughs> you know, so even his choice to live the life that he did, he did me a favor. My family members, if they ever see this podcast or any of my podcasts or read the book, it was terrible that you all left me out in the street when they could have taken me in and given me a place to stay, but they chose not to. I thank you because I sit here now independent, self-sufficient, strong, successful, and I'm creating opportunities for so many other people. So I credit you all for leaving me alone too, that I can make a difference in so many others' lives. <laughs> I mean, that perspective is just a wow. You, you, so many people would use that story for an excuse as to why they cannot thrive in life. And I've seen it time and time again through you know, my work with survivors of anything that it becomes an explanation for why life just is going to suck, you know? Yeah. And yeah. you are able to use it as fuel for why life can be fabulous and yes. wonderful and full and loving and all the things. And that, yes. that's very heroic. It's Thank very you. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't intended. You know, if I had a choice, yeah, to have a family and a home, I would have. I yeah, would've. right. So to go through the things that I went through, but now that I have it, I realize how important, how valuable those experiences were. You know, so so I just shaped and cut a little bit different than yeah. most other people. When I when I saw the men around me and, and the uh, the abusive nature. And how the disrespect, the dishonor, um, the violence, um, the lack of loyalty and commitment. See, with some little boys, you gravitate towards that and you become what you see. I had a disdain for that kind of behavior. I didn't like to see what my mother went through and my aunts and my cousins and um, and how they treated their girlfriends and their wives. Yeah. So, you know, that's one of the things that when folks look at me now, they may assume, and I get there's a lot of assumptions. Oh, he has women everywhere. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Read the book. Yeah. <laughs> read the book, you guys. Read, 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 read the book. I don't play with women. Yeah. I really don't. Because yeah. I've seen what you all went through. And if I don't know if you've gotten to the, the 15th key, divine essence, or not. Did you have you read that yet? Uh, no, I haven't gotten to that one yet. I think okay. you're gonna enjoy that. Oh, I can't wait. Ooh, that's yeah. what I'm gonna read. Yeah, so I, 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 I won't talk. I won't <laughs> You're giving me homework, Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> I won't no, talk, I won't, I won't talk about it now, but um just uh, an, an overview. I I know who you are. I know the power, the majesty, the strength. I know the essence of who you are and you are nothing to play with. So it is really a reminder to women 
and a wake-up call and a strong, stern message to men. Don't play with her. You're playing with life itself, creation itself, and our continued existence if we don't get it right with you. So all the men that abused women when I was growing up, it had a different effect to me than it does some others. I honor you. I want to protect you. I want to provide for you. I want to respect you. I want to be the kind of standard and the standard bearer of manhood if you've never seen one before. That becomes my job. I want to look at children and elders who are going through struggle and suffering and show up in their lives to make a difference. I get the, co- the, the, the question sometimes, Sarah, they say, hey, you're a life coach. You know, you know, my big brother, Tony, he actually coined the term coach. And I tell people that if you really look up the word coach, it's not what you think it is. We've heard it before because coach is a mode of transportation to carry the load from one place to its destination. Now, in terms of helping to carry you with your intent and purpose, with your cosmic calling, with your life curriculum, I can help support and help you carry. But I am not here to tell you what you should and should not do. I can tell you what I did. And you can extract whatever you need from that to better your life, to improve your conditions, make a difference in the world and have an impact on other people's lives. But when we think that we are so smart, so brilliant, so wise that I can then tell you what you should and should not do, that's very imprudent of me and irresponsible because I'm infringing upon your opportunity to fulfill your life's curriculum. That is not my job. My job is to love, support you where, when you need it. Sign me up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're incredible. You guys, we're talking to Marvin Peake. He's the author of Out of the Tunnel, an epic tale of battles, breakthroughs, and new beginnings. We have only just started scratching the surface of this man's beautiful mind. We are coming back next week to learn more You guys, thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week on Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.